we've actually been preaching through the book of Galatians. Uh, the book of Galatians, we're finishing up chapter 2 today. And so let me just see if I can give you a little bit of recap and, and catch you up uh, to where we've been. So um, the book of Galatians was actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in this region called Galatia. And um, the church began in Jerusalem, and it was really Jewish people coming to, Jew to faith in a Jewish Messiah in the Jewish capital of the world, Jerusalem. Uh, but it wasn't long before non-Jewish people and non-Jewish places started coming to faith in Christ, and Galatia was one of those places. So the Apostle Paul had, had gone on a missionary journey and had planted several churches there, and uh, it wasn't long before he heard that the churches that he planted there, these Gentile, non-Jewish believers in Christ, were suddenly starting to believe a different gospel. They started to, to hear that, that faith in Christ wasn't enough and that you had to add works to your faith. And so you can imagine that Paul was shocked when these Galatians were turning from the only gospel that can save to a, a gospel that's powerless and can't save. And so wh where, did this, where did this false gospel come from? It came from this group called the Judaizers. And so the Judaizers were these Jewish believers from Jerusalem, who were causing trouble in these non-Jewish places like Galatia. And here's what they were saying. They were saying, it's great that you have faith in Christ. That's all good. But before you can actually become a Christian, you really have to become Jewish first. Then you can become a Christian. In other words, you have to submit yourself to the Jewish rite of circumcision before you can become a true Christian. You have to follow the Jewish ceremonial laws and the food laws, the dietary restrictions, the you know, there's certain people that you have to uh, stay away from and people that you can eat with and people that you can't eat with. And Paul is saying, no, that's another gospel. And so in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, here's what Paul says in response. He says uh, to them, that's the Judaizer, Judaizers, he said, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And that's what we're talking about here Today, in Galatians chapter 2, is the truth of the gospel. And Paul has made it crystal clear so far that our right standing with God does not in any way come from anything external that we do. Okay, what that means, that doesn't mean, uh, excuse me, it means that, that our right standing with God does not come through circumcision. It doesn't come through religious ceremonies. It doesn't come through being a good person. It doesn't come through good works. It doesn't come through any of that. But right standing with God comes only through faith in Christ alone. And that's the gospel. If you've been following, following along, you know that we've been introducing you to what we're calling Galatians math, right? And so let's go ahead and pull up the first equation. Uh, Pastor Hyden introduced this to us a few weeks ago. Here's what it says. Jesus plus nothing equals enough, enough yeah. right? And so in other words, all you need is faith in Christ. And if that's all you have, it's enough, right? And Paul goes on to say, as a matter of fact, if you try to add anything to faith in Christ, that's a problem. And so last week, we introduced you to another Galatians math problem. Let's look at that one. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus plus works equals insufficient. <laughs> so if you try to add anything to faith in Christ, you come up short. You actually won't be in right standing with God. It's, it's kind of like when you get that notification on your phone, you tried to pay a bill, but you actually don't have enough money in the bank to cover the bill, and so you get that notification on your phone, there's insufficient funds, right? That's what happens when you try to add to your faith in Christ. 
and try to come into right standing with God that way that's insufficient. And so that's where we're at. We end up today in Galatians chapter 2, and Paul gives us this amazing statement. Uh, it's as if he reduces the Christian life down to a single verse. verse. It's like he distill, distills the entire New Testament and all of what it means to live as a Christian all the way down tightly into one verse in Galatians chapter 2. For many, this is a life verse. Many of us have this verse memorized. Um, every scripture is equally inspired, but there are some that rise to the top in terms of their impact, right? The, that's the way it is for Galatians 2.20. It's almost like it's a, a bright shining star on a dark night. It's, it's a star that shines brighter than the rest. If, if you're new to the faith and, and um, you know, maybe you said, if I could just have one verse that I could live my life on, let me tell you, Galatians 2.20 is that verse. You could spend the rest of your life trying to unpack all of the truths and the treasures that are contained in this one verse, and you would never succeed. You would never get there. You'd never reach the bottom. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that these are truths in this verse that you need to apply to your life every single day. That's why many of us memorize it. Um, and then I would also just say this, that there's no way that in the next 30 minutes that I can unpack everything that's contained here in Galatians 2.20. But I do believe that God has a word for us this morning. Amen? Amen? All right, so let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll read these verses. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you in Jesus' name, the name above all names, the name at which every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And God, we're here this morning, and we, we humble ourselves. We bow before your word, before the authority of your word, Lord. And God, we pray that you would meet us here this morning. God, that you would move in this room among us by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that you would open our eyes to the truths that are contained here in Galatians 2.20. And God, I pray that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, let's go ahead and, and read here this morning. I, I just want to start reading in verse 19. And so here's, here's what it says. It says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, starting here in verse 20, this is the verse that we're really going to cover today. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It's no longer I who lie, who live, but Christ lives in me. I want to preach a message to you today that I'm entitling uh, the born again identity. All right, the born again identity. Yeah. Uh, I, I love action movies, and um, this is my sermon, and so that's what I'm calling it, okay? <laughs> the born-again identity. Um, this, this verse really speaks of the new identity that we have in Christ. And so I would just say that when you trusted in Jesus Christ, there is a very real sense in which you were united with Christ. You became one with Christ. Theologians like to call this doctrine uh, union with Christ, they call it union with Christ. And what that means is that we are so identified with Christ 
and that Christ is so identified with his people that you could say what happened to Christ happened to us. And you could also say what happened to us happened to him. We are united with him. We become one with him. We get our new identity in him. And so let me go ahead and read this with you one more time. Um, I want to just focus now on verse 20, and I want you to see all of the times that the Apostle Paul says, I or me, in these verses. And I just want you to see that this is our new identity as believers. All right, so every time we get to one of these highlighted words, I want you to shout it out, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first part of our new identity is that Jesus takes our old identity and he takes it upon himself. In fact, I want to go ahead and make that our first point this morning is that Jesus takes our identity. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. The first part of our new identity is that Christ has taken away uh, everything that belonged to us. He's taken away all of our sin. He's taken away all of our shame. He's taken all of our rebellion upon himself. He's taken our resume as a lawbreaker. He's taken our addiction. He's taken our, um, everything that we have done that's worthy of punishment, and he takes it all upon himself on the cross. He took our identity, and he took the punishment that we deserved in our place. And Paul is saying that when Jesus was crucified, it's as if he was crucified. It's, it's almost like it was a double crucifixion. Come on, someone tell me, was Paul actually crucified with Christ? No, but in there's some real sense because of our union with Christ, when we trust in him, it's almost like um, Paul was there. And what exact, um, that's exactly what Jesus did. Notice what Paul says. He uses it in the past tense. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I just want to highlight this word here. Do you guys see how this is past tense? Now, Paul is actually here writing this letter to the church, but he's saying that there's some way, there's some supernatural way that I was crucified with Christ. In our born-again identity, we are so identified with Christ and the cross that it's as if we died with him. Now, look, I just want to just take a sidebar here for a moment and say that there are some people in the room right now, you're hearing what I'm saying, and you're interpreting what I'm saying to mean that we need to crucify ourselves, that we need to crucify our sin, that we need to put our sin to death in order to live the Christian life. And I'll just say that that's not an unbiblical thought. I'm just saying that that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul will say that later in the letter. Okay, but Paul is saying that when you do put sin to death in your life, it has to be on the foundation of knowing that I've already been crucified with Christ, right? And so now my motivation for living the Christian life and for trying to live a life that pleases God and putting sin to death in my life is not motivated by the fear of punishment any longer because I've already been crucified with Christ. Now my motivation for living the Christian life is from a position of security. It's from a position of love. It's from a position of already being crucified with Christ. And you see, we'll never be able to put sin to death in our life until we know that it's already been 
paid for. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, next chapter, Pastor Hyden will preach this again at some point, but it's relevant for today, so I want to read it. Here's what it says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. When you see this word curse right here, I want you to see the word punishment. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so Christ redeemed us from the curse, the punishment of the law by becoming a curse for us. Paul is saying that in some way, in the eyes of God, we were supernaturally united with Christ in his death. We were there with him. Jesus submitted himself to the demands of the law in our place. That's what Paul means in verse 19 when he says, through the law, I died to the law. Right? It was, it was the law that put Christ to death because he paid the penalty that our sins deserved. And so it was actually through the law that I died to the law. And now the beauty is, is that we can live for God. Right? There's a very profound sense in which we were crucified with Christ. And so think about that for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you name the name of Christ and, and you are in Christ, then that old you, that old person that you once were, you were dead to sin. You were corrupt in heart. You cared nothing for the things of God. You were depraved in nature. That old life, that old self was crucified with Christ on the cross. You were there. I once heard um, a story about a, a seminary professor who was, who was a Bible teacher at a Bible college, and uh, he'd been teaching for several years. And he really wanted to go to Israel. He wanted to go to the Holy Land and see where Jesus walked and talked and, and where Jesus died. And, and so he finally got the chance to go. And, um, and when he got to Israel, he met up with this tour guide and there were several people with him. And, and they finally met it to the, to the place called Calvary. And Calvary is the place where they believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. And as this professor stood there looking at this site, he said, I was here. I was here. And the tour guide said, I thought you said that you'd never been here before. He goes, 2,000 years ago, when my Savior died on the cross, I was here. Right? Amen. Amen, Japper. <laughs> Listen, there's a very real sense in which you were there. You were there. You see, God looks at my shame. God looks at my guilt. My, he looks at my idolatry. He looks at my rebellion. And, and you know what he sees? He sees the perfect, sinless son of God. He sees Christ crucified. He sees Christ in my place. By the plan of God himself, he sees Christ on the cross in my place. And Jesus became the curse for me because he bore my sins in his body on the tree. Theologians call it the great exchange, right? The law of God has a claim on everyone who's ever broken the law, and the punishment of that crime is death. But what Paul is saying here is that when the law knocks on our door, that what it discovers is that we have already died. Is that freeing to anyone here this morning? That when the law comes knocking on your door, you are a lawbreaker and the law has a claim on your life. But when it comes to you, if you're in Christ, you're already dead. You've already been crucified. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. I have this, this envelope right here. And can you, can you guys read that? 
Here's what it says. It says, me. There's also some other stuff on this envelope you might not be able to read. Um, it says, sin, shame, lawbreaker, rebel, corrupt, dead. That's, that's my testimony. This is, this is mine. And here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that when the law comes looking for you, here's what it discovers. It discovers that you are in Christ and that you're in Christ crucified and that the, that the demands of the law have already been met through the crucifixion of Christ. Do you see the beauty of the gospel? Do you see, do you see why Ephesians, I'm sorry, Galatians 2.20 is so important that Jesus takes our identity and he puts it on himself. He puts it on his own life. Hallelujah. And so we no longer live as slaves. We no longer live in fear. And do you know what that does? It frees us to live for God. That's why he says in verse 19, it says, for through the law, I die to the law. Why? so that I might live to God. So what that does is for the Christian, it allows us for the very first time to really truly live for God. I can live as a free person. That's, we love freedom language around here at Walk Church. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Right? Our mission is to free people to walk in Jesus. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about people who trust in Christ. They're set free, free from the demands of the law, free from, um, from, the, from being a slave to sin, and they're free now to follow Christ. That's, that's why we exist as a church. That's the gospel. And so I want to just read one more verse of scripture here, here to you this morning, just to drive this point all the way home. It's Colossians chapter two, verses 13 and 14. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. That's good news, right? So how did you do that, God? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you see how important it is that we be in Christ? Because I have been crucified with Christ. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. I've been crucified with Christ, that Christ has taken my resume and he's taken it upon himself. And God, what does he do for us? He forgives us of all of our trespasses and he cancels the record of debt that stands against us and the legal demands, right? He sets it aside, nailing it to the cross. And this is a very graphic picture of Jesus himself hanging on the cross. I've been crucified with Christ. I'll tell you, this is only one half of the equation though, right? Because Christ takes our identity, but there's another half that's necessary. So I just want you to uh, imagine with me in, in Pastor Mike's imaginary world that in order to get to heaven, you actually need to have $10 million, okay? Let's just say that that's what you need. The problem is you look at your bank account and you're, you have a negative $10 million, you're $10 million in debt, right? So you actually need 20 million. So it wouldn't be enough for someone just to forgive the $10 million in debt that you have, would it? Right, you're still $10 million short. So, so this side is Jesus takes our identity on himself. He forgives us our debt, this verse. But the second part of the equation is that he gives us his identity, right? He gives us the other $10 million that we need. He credits that 
to our account. And that's, that's uh, the next point. Point number two is that Jesus gives us his identity. Right? Not only has he taken away all of our guilt and our shame, but he's given us his very life. As a matter of fact, from God's perspective, when he sees us, he sees us through the lens of Christ. No longer does he see our failures. Instead, the moment we trust in him, God sees us in Christ, who fulfilled every requirement of God's law and treats us as if we lived the life that Jesus lived. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You're saying, hold on, Pastor Mike, doesn't your envelope uh, illustration break down? Because I thought you were in Christ. Well, let me just open it up and let me see what's in here really quick. Hold on. I was in Christ, but check this out. Look, Christ is in me. Christ is in me now, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ actually lives in me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. When God looks at me now, he doesn't see my resume, even though Jesus took it. He sees Christ's resume and Christ lives inside of me. Right? Everything that happened to Christ happened to us. If you're in Christ here this morning, let me just show you a few scriptures. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them rapid fire. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. Uh, and, and I just want to do this because I think it's going to be beneficial for us to see. Uh, let's go ahead and pull the first one up. It's uh, Romans chapter 6. Here we go. Here we go. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let me just say something. This that we were baptized into Christ. This is not talking about water baptism. This is a, a verse that talks about salvation, okay? Because look, they're baptized into Christ, baptized into his death. Here's the point that I want you to see, that his death became our death. We were baptized into his death. The word baptized means to be placed into. We were submerged into his death. We were buried, right? His, his burial became our burial. So his death, his burial, we were, there, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, his, his resurrection becomes our resurrection now. By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. His life becomes our life. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Colossians chapter, uh, is Ephesians 2, here we go. When we were, we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive. His life is our life, right? Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that his throne is our throne, right? So that in the coming ages, his eternity, his future is our future. His eternity is our eternity. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus the grace and the kindness that God has toward Christ becomes ours in him. Let's go to the next one. Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Listen, his glory is our glory now. Do you see everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us in Christ? That's why Galatians 2.20 is such an amazing Verse. And so let me, just, let me just read these all together now, just to give us a big composite picture. His death was our death. His burial 
was our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. His life is now our life. His throne is our throne. We're seated with him in heavenly places. His eternity is our eternity. His grace and kindness becomes ours in Christ, and his glory becomes our glory. All of the, the righteousness of Christ and all of his obedience has all been given to us. When Christ defeated Satan's attempt to tempt him in the wilderness, God sees that as our victory. When Jesus kept the law, he sees that as our keeping of the law. When Jesus had compassion on the crowds, he sees that as our having compassion on the crowds. When Jesus loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, God now sees that as our love and devotion toward him. His humility was our humility. His wisdom was our wisdom. His power was our power. His courage was our courage. And his perfect righteousness was credited to us by faith. Do you see how freeing that should be to you? When you sin, you've already been crucified with Christ. The law has no claim on you. And your acceptance and love from God does not come and go based on your performance. I can imagine some of you are sitting here and you're saying, Pastor Mike, that sounds pretty amazing and, and I believe it. And you're saying that my acceptance with God is not at all based on my performance, but I'm not sure that I'm really accepted by God. Not, not really convinced. I, I remember one time I was, when I was in high school, um, not as many years ago as some of you might be thinking, um, but, but I, I did go there and... Uh, I was in this shop. It was called an auto, auto shop. They used to have auto shop back in the day. I don't know if they still do. But you get to work on cars. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I guess I was an okay mechanic because I had some motorcycles and stuff like that that I used to fix. And uh, so anyway, I'm in, the, I'm in the shop and I must have done well on some kind of a test that I took because I got an invitation to participate in a, an auto shop competition at a local car dealership. And so I... I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go since I got an invite. And so I told my dad, my dad, you know, we, we went. And so when we got there, can I just tell you that when I saw all of the other competitors, one thing was clear. I might have been invited, <laughs> but I did not belong. <laughs> it was clear. I did not belong. Listen, these guys had those like yellow glasses. Do you know what I'm talking about where you can like see better or something like that? See, Yeah. You see what you need to see with you have these yellow or orange glasses on. They had, they had the mechanics gloves on. They had like shop outfits on. They had their own toolboxes. Literally the only thing that I brought to this competition was a Snickers bar. I was like, I need to make sure I have a snack. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was clear that I did not belong. Listen, may, maybe you've had an experience like that, right? Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was in high school with the lunch table, right? There's, there's always that table where the cool kids hang out. Right? It's almost kind of like, you could go sit there, but if you did, they'd probably look at you like you, like you don't belong. Or you'd probably just say, I, I know I actually don't belong here. But can I just tell you that that's not the way your acceptance is with God. I just want to tell you this. When you are in Christ, you cannot be any more acceptable with God the Father than you are at this very moment. Let me just ask you this question. How acceptable do you think Jesus Christ is at the table in the lunchroom where the Father and the Spirit hang out? 
right? The, the table where the Trinity hangs out. When Jesus pulls up a chair, he's welcome. He knows that he belongs. And here's what I'm saying, church. We are in Christ. We belong. Let me just show you one final scripture here to illustrate this point. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, for you have died. Do you, do you see how this isn't just in Galatians chapter 2? This is all over the New Testament. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ, where? In God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me see if I can just illustrate this one more time. Got my envelopes. Here's me. Here's Christ in me. Here's me in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in, lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. And finally, there's one more part to this story. Now I realize my envelope could be a little bit better and decorated a little nicer. But I think it's good enough to illustrate the point. This is all that's left. Do you, under, do you understand how accepted you should be and how you should feel right now? If, in fact, you are in Christ. Now, there are some people in this room who are not in Christ, and none of this is true about you. It doesn't have to stay that way. The Bible said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I want to encourage you to do that. But, but for those of us who are in Christ, if you've turned from your sin and and you've trusted in Christ and his sacrifice for you on the cross, then you can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Amen. Amen. One final thing I just want to say is, some of us are, are sitting here, and, and I think we're even believing now that we are accepted by God, that my sin has been paid for at the cross, that I am free to live for God. But there's, like, there's also something else that's in, that's in our minds. We're saying, but I'm also still here. I'm still like sitting in a middle school cafeteria on a Sunday. And as soon as the service is over, my kid's going to go to the back. He's going to grab a chocolate donut. He's going to put it in his mouth. And then he's going to wipe it on his white shirt. And then my kids are going to get in a fight on the way home. And then I'm probably going to yell at him. And then we're going to get home and I'm going to have an argument with my wife. And then I'm going to go to work tomorrow. And some people are really going to bother me at work. And it's going to be a hard day. And it doesn't seem like I'm seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. But look, I would just say that Paul knows that. And so the, here's how he finishes the verse. Let me just read it for you. He says this. He says, in the life I, what does that say? Now live. now live. Paul understands that we're still here. Our position is with Christ. It's in Christ. It's in God. It's in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's forever forgiven. But we're still here. We still live in this body that's wearing out that I have to constantly say no to because it has sinful desires, right? As, as the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me, that power is allowing me and causing me and helping me to overcome sinful desires that my body still has, not perfectly because sometimes I st still do give in. I still sin. I still fall short of God's glory. 
but praise God, I've been crucified with Christ. And here's how we live. He says, the, the life I now live in the flesh. That's when you see this word flesh just means in the body. That's all it means. How does he live? He says, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Yeah. He's saying, he's saying when I sin on Tuesday, he's saying at that moment, I'm going to trust in Christ because he's the son of God and he loved me and he gave himself for me 2000 years ago on the cross. And he loves me still. I'm reminded of the, of the, the crucifixion story and, and the centurion is standing there beneath the cross and he says, surely this was the son of God. And Paul is just saying here by the son of God language that when you see this, just think of Christ's redeeming work on the cross for you. He loved you and he gave himself for you. Let me just uh, conclude by saying this. I want to read from this passage from uh, Dane Ortland's book. He wrote this book. It's called Deeper, Real Hope for Real Sinners. Our staff read this book starting uh, in January of this year with the Deepen Conference. Come on. Um, here's what he says. Maybe even just close your eyes and, and allow me to lead, read this over you. Consider the darkness that remains in your life, the spiritual lethargy, the habitual sin, the deep-seated resentment, that place in your life where you feel most defeated. Our sins loom large, they seem so insurmountable. But Christ and your union with him loom larger still. As far as sin in your life reaches, Christ and your union with him reach further. As deep as your failure goes, Christ and your union with him go deeper still. As strong as your sin feels, the bond of your oneness with Jesus Christ is stronger still. Live the rest of your life mindful of your union with the Prince of Heaven. Rest in the knowledge that your sins and failures can never kick you out of Christ. Let an ever deepening awareness of your union with him strengthen your resistance to sin. See it in the Bible. Ponder his tireless care for you. You have been strengthened with the power to fight and overcome sin because the power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in you, living and active, for Jesus Christ himself resides in you. You can never be justifiably accused again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. Let me pray for us. Father, we just wanna thank you so much for your word. God, I wanna thank you for everyone here and watching by stream. And Father, I just wanna pray right now, God, that you would help us. God, help us to know who we are in Christ. God, help us to realize our new identity that we have. God, this week as we go throughout our, our busy lives, God, I pray that you would help us to reflect back on who we are. God, when we sin, when we blow it, God, just to know that we've been crucified with Christ. And God, when we don't feel righteous enough, that we would know that the righteousness of Christ belongs to us by faith.
God, for anyone who doesn't know you this morning, God, God, I just pray that they would cry out to you, God, even now. God, even if it's silently in their heart, God, your word says in Romans 10, it says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so God, I pray that you would help someone in this room to take that step. And God, for those of us who are believers, I I pray that you would empower us, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, as we just read, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. God, I pray that you would help us to overcome sin in our life by the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, that we would do that from a position of victory. God, knowing that our sin has already been dealt with and that we're seen in Christ, the the sinless son of God whom you love so much. God, thank you for loving us. God, help us to live by faith in the son of God who, who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, I just want to